Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. After watching just some of the videotape released, the thousands and thousands of hours collected regarding January 6th and the riot that took place at the Capitol, it is very clear that the January 6th committee lied. It's very clear that the January 6th committee was a fraud, that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, both so-called Republicans, are a part of that fraud led by Benny Thompson, uh, the Democrat, and that they all, they all should be thrown out of office and never allowed to return. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, understand the difference in my conversation versus that possibly of others. I don't deny that a riot took place. I accept that a riot took place. It just was not an insurrection. This is a lie. And these lies need to be met forcefully. They could have been if Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger of Wyoming and Illinois, respectively, would have been willing on their, uh, while being a part of this, to say, look, we think a riot happened. We think Trump's responsible, but also this, this, and this. What is this, this, and this? How about the idea that people were welcomed into the Capitol? They got arrested. Capitol Police moved them to another area, uncuffed them, gave them a fist bump, and let them go. How about the fact that people who were allowed into the Capitol and welcomed into the Capitol, who would have had no reason to think they were doing anything wrong, were then charged with terrorism? How about the idea that this isn't, isn't some slam dunk conversation? There's only one way to look at it. It's disgusting. What the January 6th committee did, we knew it was a fraud then. But why, oh why, oh why, would you not have shown us more? You cherry-picked, purposely picked what it is you wanted America to see, and that's why you hired an ABC showrunner to be able to design it for prime time. It's why you did it in the evening. Never mind the number of capital uh, uh, of confidential human sources that the FBI had at the Capitol. They had to perform an audit, according to the New York Post, to determine how many sources run by different FBI field offices were present that day. Why wasn't that told to us? The videos show you that not everybody at the Capitol was there to engage in damage or to engage in attacks. There is no doubt that some people there were who were there were there to start some kind of fight, to start an altercation, were involved in it. I, 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 I think denying that is pretty weird. But the totality, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I'm going to be told by Kinzinger and Liz Cheney that they're decent. There's a real place in hell for the two of you. I will admit that I come to you, uh, I, I am so like you, I think in many ways, sickened by what's going on, by, by, the, by the news stories, by the responses, by the bigotry, by the insanity, by the lack of, of decency. It, it boggles the mind. But Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger hate Donald Trump so much they allowed this to happen? The Democrats are so despicable. You ask me why I'm not a Democrat? January 6th committee. Be a part of that? That Pravda-esque kind of, kind of theater? 
lying to Americans like that? No. No shot, no chance, no way. Don't ever tell me that Kinzinger and Cheney are somehow conservatives. Conservatives want data. Conservatives want information. You don't keep it from people. You don't purposely manipulate it. You don't go along with the manipulation because you hate a guy more than you love the actual value of a conversation. Despicable. From the Democrats on the committee, I expected exactly this. I dismissed the whole thing. The January 6th committee was a fraud. A riot happened on January 6th. Both things can be true. This is Tony Katz today. Full disclosure, I do not own any Lily stock outright, which is probably an example of what a terrible investor I am. And you should never, ever, ever, ever take stock advice from me. I've been saying this a long time. It's, it's, it's important. I do not give stock advice. I don't want to give stock advice. I don't want to be responsible if I give bad stock advice and the next thing you know, you can't feed your family. That is an absolutely horrific way to live. I don't want it. It's why I don't give the advice at all. Thank you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good uh, to be with you. But Eli Lilly stock, man, those stockholders are feeling pretty dang good. And Lilly just got the approval, the FDA approval for ZepBound, which I think has another name. Uh, Meanwhile, that's their weight loss drug. And that's going to change things because the demand is nuts. And now they're investing everywhere, including overseas. I want to know how that helps us right here at home. And I mean, does Lily even think of Indianapolis as home anymore? Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter. X, that is, at IIB, at Gary Dick, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick, on the Twitter box. Uh, it, it is a huge approval from the FDA. It is a $2.5 billion investment in Germany. There's a lot going on with Lilly. What's happening? Well, you're right. A lot going on with Lilly, and it has been going on for some time now, Tony. Incredible momentum at uh, really Indiana's marquee company. I think it's safe to call it that. Historically uh, and otherwise, the stock price has uh, gone out uh, out of this world, really, it's of uh, over 590 bucks now. Uh, but last week or recently, the approvals not only here in the U.S., but also in Europe for, as you mentioned, ZepBound, this weight loss drug, uh, which uh, showed uh, some pretty incredible results in clinical trials, expected to be uh, a, really a blockbuster drug for the company. Uh, and into this uh, this uh, this weight loss obesity market, which uh, four in ten Americans are are uh, uh, described or, or listed as obese now, huge global issue that Lilly feels it can take a uh, a leadership position in. So big news to get this approval. And I talked actually with CEO Dave Ricks uh, over the week, and we're going to have that that uh, that interview on the show this week. Uh, and he said this is just the beginning, really, that there is a pipeline of weight loss drugs that Lilly has uh, uh, been working on and will launch in the coming uh, months and years pending approval. So uh, a lot of good uh, things going on at Lilly. Of this, uh, there's no doubt, and I'm not here to you know, be a, uh, 
a, a billboard for the company, let them advertise on the show like anybody else. But we, when we, we notice things, we, we of course, uh, share them. I notice that there is a question about Lily in Indianapolis. Now, we see the growth going on, for example, in, 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 in Lebanon. Right. With this Leap Innovation District, there's a big conversation now about the water and the water usage. And are we really showing on a state level a level of favoritism? That's not uh, Lily's issue uh, per se. The question is about Lily's relationship to Indianapolis. Years past, as I've been told the story, the people who have run Lily uh, have understood Indy and and really been a part of Indy. Dave Rick seems to be more hands off on, on that uh, subject is is there a question of whether Lily remains committed to Indianapolis as the hub when they engage more in North Carolina or they engage in a two and a half billion dollar investment in Germany? You know, I, there's always going to be that that pushback, and I think that that thinking uh, dating back really decades that any time Lily made an investment, the assumption was it's always going to be in Indianapolis or in Indiana. And that's certainly changed. It's obviously a global company, the $2.5 billion investment in Germany. They, they want to have manufacturing close to where they're going to be selling products. So it's just simply a straight business decision. Similarly, as you mentioned, uh, they've made big investments uh, out in Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. Uh, again, you're going to where strategically you're going to put uh, put assets with its workforce and other synergies going on. And you mentioned Lebanon and the investment in the Leap District in Lebanon. That is Lily's biggest investment ever in the history of the company uh, that they're putting in there. And I should mention this Zepbound, this blockbuster drug we're talking about, will be produced at uh, at Lebanon once that is up and running. So, uh, you know, I think you're going to hear that uh, that kind of pushback from time to time from people. But the reality uh, is, is Lily is a global company that, uh, and I know, uh, you know, Dave Ricks has t- he talked about it in the interview you'll see this weekend, uh, talking about the importance of Indiana to the company uh, overall. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on the Twitter X at IIB. It's an interview I have to do, right? I, I can't just leave those all uh, to you. Uh, I, I need to be, be having these conversations. Also, as posted over there at IIB, InsideIndianaBusiness.com, unemployment holding steady in the month of October. Indiana's unemployment rate remaining flat at 3.6%, the state adding 3,400 private sector jobs over the previous month. How uh, do business owners view uh, growth right now in the state? What are they concerned with? What are they looking forward to? You know, I think it's interesting, Tony, and you, you mentioned the unemployment number. I think it's the first time since April that the unemployment rate didn't inch up a bit. But it is it has remained at what is virtually full employment in the state uh, uh, finding employees continues to be a big, uh, big issue. But uh, but IBJ Media had a uh, big economic forecast, their annual forecast with Fifth Third Bank last week. And the outlook uh, from uh, economists and from those in attendance, the business community was fairly positive uh, uh, for next year, for 2024. Maybe there'll be a slight uh, slowdown in the economy, uh, but uh, second half of the year uh, looks very positive. Here's something, though that I think is, 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 is fascinating and something that needs to be addressed. When the IU Kelly School of Business came out with their um, economic forecast a couple of weeks ago, something that was kind of under the radar that really did, didn't get reported on, it was mentioned at the, uh, the event I talked about last week, is productivity in Indianapolis specifically. 
that productivity has just lagged the rest of the country by a huge amount. I think the number they were talking about from a productivity standpoint uh, was something like 2% over the last 10 or 15 years, where the country as a whole uh, increased by 14 or 15%. That's a big issue uh, for Indianapolis in particular. In fact, some of the economists talked about other areas of the state, Fort Wayne, Northwest Indiana, doing better from a productivity standpoint. And the bottom line uh, on that is the jobs added here aren't the better jobs with the better pay that that everyone is seeking. So anyway, that's that's something that uh, that I found very interesting and uh, is a big issue for Central Indiana. I think going forward. Well, I guess it, you you lead to a question: If Indiana isn't getting the jobs with the best pay, the question would lead to why? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, part of it is uh, a track and keeping those technical jobs. Some of the other, you say Indiana, Indiana has a, as a whole is attracting a lot of those those jobs, some of, of which, uh, you know, haven't been certainly filled yet or come to reality yet uh, in in, uh, in other parts of the state, but in Indianapolis per se. And that's that's a big reason, Tony, as you, you think about uh, the split of IUPUI into separate, you know, IU and Purdue campuses, a big focus on that. IU has talked a lot about it, as Purdue has, is, uh, is getting more technical uh, more uh, scientific uh, kinds of people and jobs, graduates, right in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Well, that leads to a whole series of conversations about keeping talent and growing talent. And I, I know, I know that a lot of people are engaged in this part of it and thinking this part of it and how to how to build this out. Um, uh, and I know the late Bill Osterley was was working on this and. And, and a host of others, this this is the stuff that matters. And some people say, well, you know what, Tony, when you keep all those uh, college kids here and you start, uh, you know, having them create their lives here, you end up with results like uh, progressives controlling your cities. And it's like, okay, all right, uh, point, point to you. But I think the, the bigger point has to be showing something that works, showing why this is the place to be, and then constantly and continually trying to show people there's a there's a better way to do it. Don't confuse the political with the growth necessity. You need to be a place that's attractive. If your state is not attractive, your state dies. No one does better. It's not better for ag. It's not better for manufacturing. It's not better for families. It just isn't. You want to have smart growth. It's not like you want to have unbridled growth. I, I, I'm I'm with you there. And certainly you want to be bringing in the people who recognize that what you've done and created, that's the value, right? The, the value is in how you've created it and recognize that, oh, I guess that means these policies in these things. I, I, I get that. But the, the idea that the reason a city is leftist is because, well, you're attracting more people to the city. I'm, I'm not down. The reason that they are leftists is by nature people are progressives or more attracted to cities because they're for for a myriad of reasons, including one regarding family uh, and creations of families. If they don't view that as as an important thing in in their life, if they view it as as you often hear about as something that's that's oppressive, well then why would they ever be suburbia kind of people and people move out uh, to the suburbs for for family kinds of reasons? Makes perfect sense. But when you give up fighting in the cities, when you give up fighting for the cities, when you give up fighting to be able to build something. So, so let's discuss locally for, for a moment. Let's discuss Indianapolis.
the Republican Party gave up in Indianapolis. And I'm not talking about the Marion County Republican Party. I'm talking about the state. I wonder if people in Bloomington or people in Muncie uh, would, would, would agree that that's what's happened where they are. I, I, I would need to know a little bit more about uh, some things going on there to be able to be able to speak with a bit of certitude. But there's no doubt that that the Republican Party statewide gave up even the idea of winning anything in Indianapolis. City County Council races, mayor's race, uh, congressional races gave up. They told me. They said it on air. We can't afford to run every race. If you can't afford to run every race, you're not a party. How many points do you need to win the governor's mansion by? You don't you don't care about anything as long as you have super majorities? I often argue maybe the Republicans just need a majority and not a supermajority. Maybe they'd work harder. Maybe they'd work smarter. Maybe we'd get more policy through. Maybe if we had a governor that gave the General Assembly some cover and some strength, they would do even more good things. Super weird. The state's super weird on that subject. But Republicans gave up on the city. They did. Of course they did. Kyle Hupfer and his team gave up on Indianapolis. That's a fact. He can argue with me, debate it with me, all he wants. The reality is the reality. The proof is in the elections. They've got seats they don't run Republicans for. How could you not run a Republican? Well, there's nobody to run. Ooh, well, that's a whole nother problem now, isn't it? Which again goes back to what is it that you're building on the ground? Where's the excitement that you're trying to show? The fight you're trying to have? Where's the recruitment uh, aspect? And that also involves an economic engine, an economic need to be able to build that. And if you're not willing to put money to it because you got to win the governor's mansion by another three points, well, all right, you made your call. You made your decision. It's just, I think, a pretty lousy decision. It's a pretty lousy decision in my view. So until uh, the GOP, until conservatives, until libertarians gather together and really fight for their city and to win those races and, and, and engage better policy, let's, you know, let's not put the blame on, well, you've attracted too many people from the left to be in your cities. That's, that's in and of itself not enough. Was it the mayor of Dallas? It's like, whoa, I'm a Republican now. You people are crazy. These policies of let the criminals run the streets, that don't work. By the way, that was a, that was one of those. That does not work. It's a ridiculous idea. We got to put an end to that. I'm going to be a Republican and we're going to start having smart policies because we need smart policies. That's it. And by the way, you wouldn't care if they were a Democrat, if they actually went after criminals, you wouldn't care. It would be meaningless to you. Yeah, he's a Democrat, but dear Lord, the streets are clean. Dang, you'd be fine. Except they're not clean. And then you're like, what the heck? And then these people keep voting for Democrats. Like, well, uh, it's abortion. That's the only thing that matters. You're like, oh, holy hell. It's the mayor doesn't have anything to do with abortion. Meanwhile, you walk down the street, you're going to get shot. You walk down the street, you're going to get mugged. All the aggressive panhandling. Dear Lord, what kind of drugs do you want? They're everywhere. This is this is the city that you want? So this is what I'm I'm saying, that that you want to attract younger people you want people who graduate to stay here because you want to keep the brain power in the state it's better for the state it's better for the opportunities it just is but then you have to fight on the other side there are people who are focused on keeping the brain power here in indiana i think it's important it's good and i'd be willing to work with those people i'd applaud that stuff uh all, all over but uh they're not working hard enough in other places to win the political battles and they're purposely not even trying and that's what's so ugly 
This is Tony Katz today. So the revolution at OpenAI has begun, and holy crap, this story is amazing. And I'm still trying to put together all the pieces, because this is not where I, I live or breathe. But AI affects you, affects me, affects all of us. And what has happened here is just nuts. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Let me try to make this make sense. There's a guy by the name of Sam Altman. You may never have heard of a day in your life. So Sam Altman was the CEO of ChatGPT. OpenAI owns ChatGPT. The CEO, Sam Altman. Next thing you know, it was it was Friday, they fired him. Not only did they fire him, they moved one of the board members around. His name, I've got it right, Greg Brockman. So he was the president of OpenAI, who was moved from his board, I think board chair position, and then he he quit altogether. Hold up. As for why Sam Altman was fired, this is not a known. As as I have read it in, in a bunch of different places, no one's giving a comprehensive answer. This is what the company said. Mr. Altman's departure follows a deliberative review process by the board, which concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibility. The board no longer has confidence in his ability to continue leading open AI. Well, that's a statement, but it's also rather ambiguous. What did he say or what did he not say? And would other people view the saying or not saying with the same level of, well, you kept the board from doing their job, as opposed to he was doing a job the board didn't even know how to do? ChatGPT, of course, uh, has, has changed the game. It is this stunning bit of artificial intelligence that can get you writing books in a second. It could get you making music. People are using it for homework assignments. Of course, there's a danger in it. I never, I'm, not, I'm never stating that there isn't, but the technology is here. And, and he has been the guy leading this charge. He gets fired in like a second. And everyone's like, what in the world is happening here? This doesn't make any sense. Well, it gets a bit stranger. It gets a bit stranger when you realize that Sam Altman and this guy, uh, Greg, oh, what's his name, Brockman, are now joining Microsoft to run their uh, AI team. Microsoft and putting together their new advanced artificial intelligence research team, as reported by the Washington Post, hires Altman and hires Brockman. To run the show. So now you got to ask yourself, well, if you got to know these guys all know each other, these guys all work with each other there and everyone's talking, everyone's sharing, they they have an idea of of what's happening. But Microsoft didn't feel that these guys were a problem. 
Microsoft said these are exactly the guys that you want. Let's go steal the brain trust. After that, you have more than 500 workers, people over at OpenAI, who demand that Altman be reinstated and that the board resign. Wow. Now we got ourselves a party. We've got a drama. We've got intrigue. The whole thing. OpenAI currently has about 770 employees. And 500 of them signed and threatened to quit. You know where they're all going to go. They're all going to go over to Microsoft. And it's going to be, well, you have non-competes and this and that. And they're all going to go, and they're going to go. Oh. Oh. Let's take a moment to just take a step back to try and understand what this means and how this affects all of us. First, there. this is just, uh, maybe from the quick, there's a lot of intrigue here. This is a fascinating, fascinating story about how these these companies work and the inner workings and what uh, move people um, and, 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 and where, where loyalties lie and how a board can clearly get it wrong if the board thinks it's more important than the people. Now, this happens, and choosing a board of directors is an extremely important, important task. Um, I have, uh, in, in my beloved Indianapolis, started taking a look around, seeing where, where can I be of service? Where can I help? Because there's paid board positions and unpaid board positions. And, and knowing that I'm going to be here, knowing that I want to build here and grow here, and I've spent years on, on radio, now I want to see if there's places where I can be of service. Now, maybe, maybe no one wants a voice like mine on their board at all. Maybe there are some boards that would be desperate for a voice like mine. When I look at, can I offer something, I would like to just offer not a purposely contrary view, but sometimes because of who I am versus very often what you see on boards, a, a organic contrary view. Not that my view is accurate, but that rather it, maybe it should exist within a conversation to ensure uh, the best result for A, a company, or B, an organization. You want to be of service. And so I do think of it more of the organization side than I do think of it ever as, as, as company side. I had someone explain to me what uh, a board does, for example, for a bank. Like, how does this... How does this work? And what are the what do they actually bring to the table? Maybe they bring business expertise, deal making expertise, uh, a legal expertise in the world of, of of banking. So it's this this resource, and I could say, okay, that that makes perfect sense. And I don't think, uh, in in the main, I'd be the right choice for a bank uh, board of directors. I, I don't. I mean, but there could be things that I'm I am helpful to. I don't think I'd be the 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 immediate go to choice. But I think that there are think tanks and others where I could provide provide value and provide assistance and I'd, and I'd like to and 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 want to and there's something to be said for when you do that about having a seat at the at the table as other things kind of develop out when we take a look at Indianapolis and you can take a look at it in Bloomington or in Muncie where we're heard on WMUN and, and in in Bloomington on WGCL there are things happening right where where in those places for example ball state can dominate or 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 IU can dominate but how do others 
get get a voice in? How do they engage? Well, I, when you are on some of these boards and you're dealing with some of these people, you get to meet, you get to talk, you get to share, you you create relationships, and those relationships have have value. And you say to me, oh, so you're talking about politics? Well, in in a way, sure, a- absolutely true. Uh, but but just like we see from our own system of government, you don't get everything that you want. It's about trying to move into a, a better direction. That only happens when you're dealing with people that you know, like, and trust. That only happens when you're able to be persuasive. And sometimes that happens on an electoral side when you're able to be persuasive with the voters. But you want to be able to at least engage or try to engage. And, and I think about this a lot over, over the last year and wanting to move down this road. But when you have a board board of directors, you're giving them a tremendous amount of power. And sometimes that power, depending on the company, is seen as ego. When you are on a board, what it, what matters more, your personal brand or the success of the organization, whether it be a, a think tank or whether it be a, a, a for-profit company? It should be about the latter. It should always be about the latter. Some boards, some board members, some people, they need it to be about them. So is this a conversation that Altman was pushed out of, of, of OpenAI because of ego? I don't know. And I don't know the players, so I don't have a way of, of answering that, that question. What I know is, is that when you have a board, you have to select that board carefully. James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, you can say a lot of good things about that guy and his hustle and over the years. And when he was running Project Veritas, I have donated to Project Veritas. Not anymore. He clearly didn't pick the right board. Ousting him was insane. By the way, does Project Veritas even exist anymore? Last I heard, they got rid of the uh, they got rid of the employees. So I don't I do not know. I have no idea if the company even exists anymore. But now that, that you've gotten rid of, of Sam Altman, you got rid of, of Greg Brockman, they jump over to Microsoft. Employees are going to go with them now, and you know they're going to go because I don't think he's coming back. If you've got Microsoft's billions at your disposal and their willingness to really control the space, if you, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, why, why would you leave? Why would you leave? Why would Altman go back? I mean, there could be reasons, but I just don't know of them. So one has to think that uh, there's more of a likelihood that the uh, OpenAI people move over to Microsoft than stay where they are. And the board will now have to figure out how it's going to run a company. That's what they have to figure out. So... Did they make a mistake? Did they act too hastily? Did they act upon their ego as opposed to uh, what's, what's better for the company? I don't know. What I do know is that AI affects our future. It affects you on a personal level. It affects me on a personal level. It affects you on a business level. It affects me on a business level. I, I feel fortunate that maybe I'm in a space where I cannot be replaced by AI. AI could, you know, try and learn my personality and and try and engage conversations like I do. 
But the idea that it would be able to have new thoughts as opposed to a regurgitation of whatever I've already put out into the world, well, that's a that's interesting. That's interesting. But there is something to connections that I don't think gets replaced. But I have argued, and one of the things that you saw in the uh, strike from, from the Screen Actors Guild, they didn't want to be replaced by AI. And I had people say to me, oh, that's so ridiculous. AI can never replace these actors. Of course it could. Of course it could. It could replace the actors and you pump in the script and it will, will, will pump out the, uh, the content. And my gosh, it'll pump out the script. So what are you talking about? Of course it can. And yes, that is indeed frightening stuff. And that's why it'll have an effect. It'll have an effect on your business as as well. And as I argue, we should be very focused on how to understand this, how to work within it, create the job opportunities from it, and also be aggressive about recognizing where the limitations should be. We shouldn't ignore it. And what I find interesting is that really nobody is ignoring it. If you were to take a look across a socioeconomic spectrum, people know what AI is. Now, they might know it because they think it's going to take over and it's the robots and everything else, but they have a concept. And they have, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, uh, whether it be academically, socioeconomically, anything else, they have concerns. You can find people all over the place. They'll be like, yeah, we've got the same concerns. I think that we should be running to the embrace. I think we should be running to that embrace in schools. I think we should be looking at how we teach kids about these things, how we teach them how to, how to use it, whether it be like, for example, there are things now where you can hum a tune and uh, the AI will generate a song based on the humming. They'll do the, the arrangement and, and, and everything else. Well, maybe that's the future of music. So maybe we should be teaching kids how to do that and how to produce in, in that regard. What can AI do in terms of investing? Why aren't we focused on these things? We should be teaching kids about how to work within that programming world. For what purpose do we say in the state of Indiana, we need to make sure you have a couple of years of Spanish under your belt or French or something else? Forget that. How about Python or whatever languages we're using to build the AI? I don't actually know the answer to the which language is used. All I know is we'd be better off if we were helping kids get into this world from every single area. And we'd also be better off if we were getting kids more into the world of services. As I've explained to my kids many times, it doesn't matter how much the AI grows, someone still needs to use their toilet. Years ago, as I was thinking about college, my father reminded me, hey, you can always be a plumber because no matter what happens, you can't blank on the internet. Uh, so far, he's been right. You can, you, can, you can show photos of it, but you can't actually do it. You need plumbers. You need HVAC techs. You need mechanics. The world has to keep spinning and someone has to keep those things together and those opportunities are going to be massive. Massive. So there's two ways to go about it. We should we can offer these things up and we should. We should be aggressive about this. This should be the Indiana plan. But the, what's happening with the AI is and and, and Sam Altman and uh, and Microsoft is I mean this is drama on drama. And this could really change investments 
and fortunes and everything else. This could be a serious, serious opportunity for Microsoft and massively damaging for OpenAI or not. We are going to watch this soap opera play out. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. Argentina has a new president. And people are freaking out because this guy has said things like, you can't give the left an inch. But he said it with... Well, he said it in a way I can't say on radio. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Do I pronounce his name right? Javier Malay, M-I-L-E-I, economist, former television pundit, got 56% of the vote. And uh, he, I mean, his commentary about the left is just brutal on brutal on brutal, uh, just punching these people in, in the face. Trump on Truth Social saying, I'm very proud of you. You will turn your country around and make Argentina great again. So why would Argentina go so right? How about uh, inflation, 40% of the population being moved into poverty because of the economy? And here's uh, Javier saying, I'm going to get rid of this, get rid of that. We're going to put an end to these agencies. We're going to make these changes. And of course, everybody comparing him to Trump. He's just like Trump. He's going to be like Trump. Maybe you'll learn that some people don't think that's so bad. But let's see if he actually does uh, drain the swamp in Argentina. We'll follow the story. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.